Well, today is Trinity Sunday. If you didn't know. And it's an unusual day in the Christian year. Because on the surface of it, it seems like today is a day devoted to a doctrine. Instead of an event, like all of the other big days on the church calendar. Christmas, of course, is an event, a big event, the birth of Jesus. Holy Week and Easter is an even bigger event, the death and resurrection of Christ. The ascension marks when Jesus rose up to his Father in heaven, and Pentecost marks when God gave the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church. By now, since Advent, we've gone through all of the big moments together in the drama of salvation, which is what worship in a liturgical church like ours is supposed to be. We're meant to be reminded of and caught up in the mighty acts of God for our salvation, year in and year out, until we know the story of Scripture by heart. And when we read the Bible, we don't see it anymore as just an old book about people long ago and far away. But instead, we see it also as about us, as about a story that we are still living here and now. Mother Emily and I had a professor in seminary who said that he grew up in a home where people talked so much about Bible people, like Moses and Jacob and Esther and Mary, that it took him a while to realize, as he got older, that these were Bible characters instead of part of the family. In a literal sense, of course, they weren't part of his family, but in a deeper sense, I think his first impression as a young kid was right. When we read the Bible, what we're reading is family history. These are our fathers and mothers in faith. This is how God brought us together and made us one people. Not long ago, not long ago, I stopped by a local 7-Eleven in my clergy collar to get something or other. I don't remember what. And the lady behind the checkout counter smiled at me and said, Why? You're my brother in Christ. I was a little surprised. But I managed to give her a smile in return and say, Why, yes, thank you. We are, aren't we? Or something like that. Driving back home and reflecting on it, I was deeply moved, actually. Because what right did I have on the surface of it to be called the brother of a black woman at the 7-Eleven in Dallas whom I'd never met before? And yet, I think by the grace of God, what she said was true. Because Abraham and Sarah and Jacob and Isaac were our ancestors. God was our father. And in Christ, we both of us were God's daughters and sons. And that made me her brother. That, I think, is part of the miracle of what God has done for us and for our salvation in the story of Scripture. And when we get inside Scripture's story, we'll start to see the whole world like that, with new and surprising eyes, just like she did in the checkout line that day. But if all of that is true, and I praise and thank God that it is true, then why is today apparently a break from our regularly scheduled program? That is, of going through the whole story of Scripture and getting inside it. Why do we take what seems to be like a week off from the story of the Bible and focus on a doctrine instead? 
when I was a kid, I thought it was a kind of doctrine that might have triangle. It didn't make a lot of sense to me. Well, the readings today are so short that they're really not a story, are they? To be honest, it's actually not easy to see how the readings for today fit together. Except that they all point to what the prayer, the collect for today says. The glory of the eternal trinity. The Father who lives and reigns with the Son and the Holy Spirit as one God forever and ever. Amen. That definitely sounds glorious and almighty, but I think it runs the risk of sounding a little abstract and distant, don't you? You can live a story, right? Like the parables of Jesus or the liberation of the children of Israel from slavery to Pharaoh, but what do you do with the doctrine? Especially this one. It's a doctrine about a triangle. Well, theologians make the distinction between the imminent trinity and the economic trinity. What does that mean? In other words, that means the distinction between who God is in himself from all eternity, before time and forever, and then who God is as he's revealed himself to us in time in the great story of salvation. They make this distinction because it's a way of trying to wrap our minds around the difference between eternity and time. It's a way of saying that everything we see about God in the story of salvation, everything we see about God as he's revealed himself to little time-bound earthlings like us over thousands of years, is actually a reflection of the way God is in himself forever and ever. Amen. God sends out Jesus on a mission to save us from our bondage to the powers of sin and death. And then he sends out the Holy Spirit, that was Pentecost last week, on a mission to fill us up with the good and righteous life of Jesus and to send us out on mission as Christ's hands and feet in the world. But these missions, you see, are really just reflections in time of who God has always been. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have always proceeded theologians say, from God their loving Father. And the Son and the Spirit have always given themselves back to the Father in a kind of single joyful offering of love and praise. When we say that God is love, it's truer than we know. The three persons of the one triune God have always been giving themselves to one another in a kind of dance, you might say, of perfect knowledge perfect joy, and everlasting praise. In the chapters that surround the brief passage from John's Gospel we read from this morning, we see that this is what God's eternal glory is really all about. That is, the eternal self-giving of the three persons of the triune God to each other. The Father glorifying the Son, the Son glorifying the Father, and the Spirit as something like glory in person, giving and receiving glory to the Son in the Father, round and round and round, glory and love and praise forever. All of this is a way, our attempt, of saying that Scripture's story of salvation that you and I are part of, the story where the unlikeliest people like me and the person at the 7-Eleven are joined together as brothers and sisters in the one family of God, 
Well, this isn't a story just where the evolution of the main character is in vacuum. No. You and I don't have to wonder as we read this story. Will the God of the Bible turn out to be a God of love, as the story goes? Or will he decide to reject us and to hide his face forever? You and I don't have to wonder, will the main character in this movie win in the end? Or will he finally be overcome by the evil empire? No. God, the eternal God, has always been love and always will be. That's what the doctrine of the Trinity means. The story, if we can call it a story, of the eternal God in himself has always been one of self-giving love, peace, unity, and joy. This is an, an eternal and unchanging, unshakable truth. That's who God is, forever and ever. Amen. That's why the end of the story of salvation is not in doubt. God has always been and always will be the God revealed in Jesus Christ. You probably know this hymn, one of my favorites. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever shalt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, thy mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hast provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. That is why we pause from our regularly scheduled program. That's why we pause from the great story of salvation as God has revealed himself to us. To remind ourselves that who God is in himself from before time and forever isn't any different from the God who we see in Jesus Christ. That's who God is, was, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Now I think that that's a great and comforting truth. It's worth the whole Sunday, not more. <coughs> And it would probably be enough for one Trinity Sunday sermon just to remind ourselves of that. And my wife, if she were here, would probably wisely end the sermon right now. But I have something more to say. Because I want you to see that the doctrine of the Trinity is something that we can live, not just a statement of belief that, belief that we have on the books. To say that the eternal God from before time and forever is the same as he's revealed himself to us in Jesus, is the kind of thing that upsets the apple carts of how most of us think about God most of the time. When people think of God, I think that we usually imagine some kind of lofty and serene deity, far too high and lifted up to be bothered by anything that happens to us down here. I once attended a church where the rector's office was literally high and lifted up in the bell tower. And to get to his office, you had to climb several flights of stairs. And then you pick up a phone on a little table to get buzzed into the locked door. You asked his assistant to buzz you in, the door clicked, and you opened it, only to have to climb yet another flight of narrow stairs to a receiving room. When the rector was good and ready, he had emerged from some kind of inner sanctum you never actually saw, 
in his fine Brooks Brothers suit and his tailored shirt. And he would descend yet more stairs to the receiving room where you'd be invited to sit and have your meal. I had to laugh sometimes because it sort of felt like making an appointment to talk with God. Descending from on high in his majesty and great glory to give me 15 minutes of his time. Why do I tell you that story? Well, not really to poke fun at him, or at least not entirely, to be honest. But because it illustrates how we normally think about God. If we made an appointment to talk to God in his office, I think we'd expect it to go something like that. Only perhaps with more flights of stairs. But to say, as we do in the doctrine of the Trinity, that the eternal and triune God's glory is just as we see it in the God who has revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ, is to say that that isn't what God's glory is like at all. God isn't so high and lifted up that he can't be bothered by you and me, except maybe to give us 15 minutes of his day. No, no. How did God glorify himself? In his son, Jesus Christ, a poor Jewish handyman with no power except the truth. Just like the one God in three persons gave himself to himself in a perfect dance of love and glory for eternity, God gave himself to his children in Jesus Christ and poured his entire life out for us when he was high and lifted up on the cross. The glory of God is no distant, abstract majesty. The glory of God rather looks like a love so strong that it shows up on the streets of the downtrodden and the forgotten. Down here among the prodigal sons, the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, and gets all mixed up with their hurts and their needs and their problems because they're his sons, his daughters. And as long as their hearts hurt, then the heart of God hurts too. The glory of the eternal God shows up in this world when we follow Jesus. When we love like Jesus loved, we too will suffer with the suffering, and our hearts will hurt with them. The pain of loving those who reject and even despise us will hurt the most. But the way of the cross in this life will not last forever. The eternal God will raise us up to the eternal kingdom where we can love with hearts wide open and know even as we are known. Therefore, glory be to the God who is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.